Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. And we see that uh, we are coming to Moses' birthday. And uh, what a way to have a birthday. Um, Because on this day, the Lord says, okay, Moses, go up in the mountain and you're going to (laughs) die. That's not so. uh, I'm not sure I'd like that. But uh, notice in chapter 31, verse 1, then Moses went up and, uh, went and spoke to the word, the word, these words to all Israel. Now, that's the name of the book in Hebrew, of the book of Hebrew, of uh, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a Greek word. It was la- added later whenever the, the Bible was translated into Greek. But the Hebrews just called it, and these words. And so that was the name of the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. He says, and he said uh, these words to all Israel. And he spoke to him. He said, I'm 120 years old today. Happy birthday. I have no longer, I cannot uh, 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 no longer go out and come in. That wasn't meaning that he was, that he couldn't go out and come in. That's just a way of saying I can't get around. We say get around. Well, you say, well, what's getting around? Are you going on merry-go-round? So it's one of those colloquialisms, as we call it. So he means, Jesse, I can't do what I used to do, basically, is what he's saying. He says, also the Lord had said, uh, you shall not cross over the Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy the nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself, notice now, Joshua, he's putting his hand on Joshua and pushing him forward as he is a uh, uh, designated leader. He says, Joshua himself crosses over before you, um, as the Lord had said, and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og. And that was one of those two great victories that he had over those kings on the east side, the Amorites uh, of the land. Uh, The Lord will bring them over to you, and that you may do to them according to every command that I commanded. Be strong and of good courage. You'll see that several times here. And then what does the Lord tell? The Lord directly goes to Joshua in chapter 1 and of the book of Joshua. And what does he tell him? Be strong and of good courage. And so it's the Lord. Uh, so we see the Lord says this several times to Joshua. How would you like to take uh, the place of, of Moses? You think it would be a challenging job? I think so. I think I'd quake in my boots a little bit. He says... Uh, uh, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear and be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes to be with you. And he will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord swore to the fathers to cause to inherit it. And the Lord has said, He is the one who goes before you, he will be with you and he will not leave you nor forsake you nor fear, uh, uh, neither fear nor be dismayed. If you want uh, the reference to that, Joshua chapter one, verses eight and nine, through eight through 10, basically. And so he says, then Moses wrote this law. Again, we see that Moses wrote the Bible, wrote the Pentateuch. He wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And 
although there's all kinds of people who want to split it up and make that certain people did it different times. When you get into that, if people, if the one reason I know the Bible, the, Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy is because Jesus said he did. So that takes care of it, doesn't it? And so we see Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests and to the Levites, to Levi, who bore the ark. And he told them every seven years, notice in verse 10, um, he commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time of the year of the release, uh, of the, the Feast of the Tabernacles, which would be around Yom Kippur, um, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord in the place which he chooses, you shall read the law before all of Israel in their hearing. Gather the people, men and women and little ones, uh, that they may learn to fear the Lord. Now, as you go to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, of course, Ezra, uh, after the walls were built and the people came together, and Nehemiah had the priest read, and Ezra read the, the law to the people. And they had not heard it for generations. And as a result, if you turn to Nehemiah, I think it's chapter 9, where he says they started, they started hearing the law as God told them to do it, like uh, God said here. And they started crying and weeping because they realized just how far they had gone outside the will of God. And this was after they came back from Israel, back from Babylon. And so they realized just how far they had left the Lord. And of course, in the last days before the Babylonian captivity, you, um, we see that uh, they had totally forsaken the Lord and the Lord judged them. And this is, it's interesting because chapter 31 and 32 are pretty dire. They're pretty disheartening because he's just, uh, he's going to be using this to say to them, uh, this is what you, I already know what you're like. Oh, that's the one thing. I'm, you know, I'm glad that I don't have foreknowledge because I don't know what's going to happen a year from now. Um, do you? I think if I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen a week from now. Uh, and some of the calamities that are coming up uh, on us or whatever. Uh, I'm glad I don't know. But man is born for trouble as a spark flies upward. But the Lord, the Lord already knew these people. He called them a stiff-necked people. But then the Lord, notice he says in verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, your days approach that you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle in the meeting that I may inaugurate him or uh, call him. So Moses and Joshua went in the presence of themselves. In the, so here we have the formal transition of power. Now the Lord appeared in the, at the tabernacle in the pillar of a cloud. Remember that was still there. And, pillar, uh, and the pillar of cloud stood above the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers and this people will rise and play the harlot. And so he goes through this and he says, uh, they're going to uh, forsake me and, they, and I will hide my face from them as you go on down to verse 17. And he says, uh, in verse, he, goes, uh, he says, um, have not these evils come upon us because, because of our God is not among us and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil 
which they have done. Now, uh, we're going to see that, uh, that that's what happens a lot of times, even with the, the Jew today. Is, is God among us? And, and even atheistic Jews. Uh, if there was a God, why did these things happen to the Jew? And so forth. And we're going to see what the Lord said. This is the reason you're going to read some things, especially this song that I'm going to give you, because it's going to remind you, uh, I've told you, that these things were going to happen to you throughout your generations. In verse, uh, 30, uh, verse 19, Now therefore write down this song for yourself, for yourselves. So the Lord gave um, Moses the first rock song. <laughs> Call it... It's a rock song because it, it's, the theme is the rock. Seven different times he talks about the rock. And, of course, that rock is God. He says, you teach the, child, the children of Israel, put it to, in their mouths that they sing this song as a witness for me against the children of Israel. So the kids were supposed to learn this sim and to be very familiar with it because it tells them about the history. And it actually is this kind of pre-written history of uh, what's going to happen uh, both good and bad, to the nation of Israel. In verse 28, And when I brought them to the land of flowing with milk and honey, for which I swore to their fathers that they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods. God already knew it. Does God know that you're going to sin? Does he know you're going to sin? If he didn't, he wouldn't have put First John one nine in. If we... Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God knows that we are weak, and he knew that his own people here were weak, and yet he always held out his hand to the faithful. And verse 21, he said, Then you shall, uh, when many of these evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness. And so they're to learn this song So because when they go through this, then they already, they're already told, hey, your God knew you are going to be this way. Now come back to him. In verse 22, Now therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated uh, Joshua to the, the son of Nun and said, There again, be strong and of good courage. For you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore them, and I will be with you. And so it was that Moses had completed writing these words of the law in the book when he had, they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may be there as a witness against you. For... I know your rebellion and your, that you, and your stiff neck. So I already know you, and it's going to be a witness against you. I already know how you're like. Uh, sometimes with your children, uh, you can know their traits. You ever notice that? And uh, you can, a lot of times you already know what they're going to do before they do it, because that's just the way they are. And uh, not all. I mean, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But uh, the Lord knew his people. And he had already, you know, for 40 years, he knew them. And uh, he just, just knew what was in their nature. Isn't it interesting? You don't have to teach a child how to be evil. You don't have to teach them how to lie. You don't have to teach them how to do all kinds of... You have to teach them how to do good. You know, we don't have to teach evil. We have to teach good. 
Um, notice in verse 29, for I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt. Now Moses said that. And turn aside from the way and which I commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the word, work of your hands. And so he says, I know now this is going to be something that you can read when the times are really bad. And there's some things that many people believe reference even the Holocaust. Of, and in fact, I've heard, it, heard Jews say, um, whenever a, an atheist Jew says something, there's things in here that refer possibly even to as bad things as the Holocaust. And so he begins, give ear, O heavens. And you're going to see seven different times he's going to talk about a rock, about the rock. He says, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Oh, hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop in as, as rain. My speech distill as dew, and my raindrops on the tender herb, and the showers on the grass, and the showers on the grass. I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His, way, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. So first of all, we see that the rock is the unmovable standard. Folks, uh, if there's righteousness, then there has to be a standard of righteousness. Whenever we have a ruler, and a ruler, if, and the word righteous comes from the idea of a very straight line with a standard measure. What we mean by that is we call it a ruler. It's, um, if, it is a, if it is a certified ruler, then it's exactly 12 inches long, and it's a perfectly straight line. Now, a Old Testament, an Old Testament Jew would call that a righteous line, if you drew a line with that ruler. And so, of course, we have all gone astray. We have gotten off the beaten path, haven't we? And so we are un there's none righteous, no, not one. And so we see that, uh, but God's way is perfect. So he's the standard. He won't move. He'll be the same today as he was over 3,200 years ago when this was written. And so God knows what he's doing. And he's the same God that Moses, that Moses served. Aren't you glad you, you can pray to the God of Moses and that uh, he hears? And so we see that, uh, but uh, they have corrupted themselves in verse 5. They're, not, they're, going, they're not his children and they're perverse and crooked generation. And he goes on. He says in verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Notice how good I've been. Ask your father and he will show you and the, your elders. And uh, they will tell you when the Most High divided the inheritance up to the nations. So get this ingrained in your mind that God gave you this land and he divided it among you. When he separated the sons of Adam, he goes all the way back to Adam. What were the, so we had the righteous line through Seth and the unrighteous line through Cain. He says, and he set the uh, boundaries of the people. And according to the number of children, and there's all kinds of things, boundaries of people and so forth. Uh, he's he talking about tribes and so forth. Um, for the Lord's portion is his people. That's you. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. And now here's some very beautiful words. 
He found him in the desert land, in the wasteland, in a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him, kept him as the apple of his eye. From what I understand, that's the pupil. I mean, the very center of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers among its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord led him, and there was no foreign god with him. Now that's a very beautiful picture, and we'll see this several times in Scripture. The Lord stirs uh, the, the eagle as she would take the... Uh, she would build her nest up high on a mountain. And one of the first things she would do was to get rocks and barbed wire and sharp things and put on the bottom of the base of that nest. And after she had uh, built uh, some twigs or whatever thing around it, then she would go out and kill a sheep or whatever, some soft animal and use the down of that animal to cover that sharpness and then she would have her babies and after they were they hatched and she took care of them for a while uh, it was time for them to fly and what she would do she would tear up that down and those eaglets would be very uncomfortable and either they were going to stay there and be uncomfortable or they're going to learn to fly and so she would uh, nudge them off the nest, and they would go down. And this, I understand, this is what still happens with eagles. And uh, then she would swoop down, and on her wings, those eagles would come. And as her eaglets would come. And so then she would take them back up, and they would do it again. And either they learned to fly, or they did learn to fly. And uh, that's a kind of a rough way to fly. But the Lord says, you know, that's the way I did have done you. I mean, I've given you such soft life. I've given you everything you needed. But then I've had to stir up the nest every once in a while to make you uncomfortable to, for you to learn how to fly. Isn't that interesting how God does that with us? Oh, everything's going all right. I mean, I got a good job, got a good house, got all those things happen. And then all of a sudden you lose the job and you don't know what you're going to do next. I heard about a man that uh, just recently that um, he had worked for a company for 32 years. And um, he it was in a rough part of San Francisco. And um, he decided he just couldn't work there anymore. And he said, please transfer me out of here. And they said, we can't. We've we got to keep you here. He said, well, if you don't transfer me, then fire me. And they fired him. I mean, he was just challenging him. He thought they would keep him for 30, after 32 years, and they fired him. And so he, quite concerned about it, of course, and he went out and he needed the money, and uh, he found a little company that needed a salesman. And he became one of their top salesmen. And then the owner of that place liked him so much, he said, you know, I'm getting out of this business. And if you will take it over for me, I'll give it to you at a, a good price. And so now he's the owner of a company that's now international. Now, can, if he had stayed in that one job, he'd still be a clerk in a store somewhere. But can God do things like that? 
it isn't whenever there we have the uh, whenever God makes us uncomfortable, is it because God hates us? Or is it because he's wanting to say, hey, learn to fly. Learn what it means to walk by faith. Learn what it means that I'll never leave you or forsake you. Learn what it means that I'll bear you up on the eagle's wings. And they that wait on the Lord, those who learn how to fly, they'll wait on the Lord. And they'll mount up on wings as eagles. They'll walk, run and not be weary. And they'll walk and not faint. Or run and not be faint. I think I turned around. But uh, you understand what I'm saying. And so we see that uh, God does it. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God wants to do with his children? Is when I send you the rough times, when I send you through the fire, I'll be with you. You know, all these different things that he says and that he gives uh, illustrations about. God never does anything to hurt us as far as our walk of faith. He does things to draw us closer to him. Sometimes it can seem to be pretty cruel or painful. And yet the Lord promises that he'll bear us up on eagle's wings. What a beautiful picture that is. And he's carrying them on its wings. And how many... And of course, there's a protection. And he uses wings many times. Uh, he talks about, uh, the Lord Jesus talked about chicken wings. He said, as a, um, as a hen would gather her chicks, so what I've gathered you, Israel. And the Lord Jesus said that, of course, when he was weeping over them, because he knew what was going to happen to them. And from my understand, again, I'm not a farmer, but I've uh, heard many stories about out in Kansas or whatever, They'd have those very uh, those prairie brush fires that would sweep through, and uh, and they would take everything but the house, and they would uh, try to figure out how to do take care of the house, and yet uh, and they would go out to the chicken yard, and they would see carcasses of hens, and they would kick the carcass out of the way, and there's those little chicks still under there, protected by the mother who had died for them. So it's interesting how the Lord uses the symbolism of wings so many times in Scripture. Under his wings, we have protection. And so what a beautiful portrait. The Hebrew poetry is very descriptive, very beautiful. And so we see that he made him ride on the heights of the earth, verse 13, that he might eat uh, the produce of the lands, and he made him uh, draw honey from the rock. Now, of course, here, not only do we have our standard, but we have our sustainer. He sustains them. And, uh, of course, we know water from the rock that uh, happened, and curds and cattle and all the things that he gave them there. Then in verse 15, and, uh, but Jeshurun, that was a name for Israel, I grew fat and kicked. So you grew fat and you grew thick. Uh, you were obese. Then, the, then he forsook God who made him and scorned, uh, scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. He scorned the very rock of his salvation. How many times have you heard people make fun of the Lord Jesus Christ? And yet he's our very salvation. And I've heard people that uh, was really disillusioning to me as a growing up as a Christian, I'm not a family or whatever, not a Christian family, were the people that one time, as God was getting a hold of me, 
the people that I thought were the great Christians were falling away from him. And then they would actually scorn the very fact of anybody wanting to serve God. I mean, that was a real uh, eye-opener for me uh, in my life. It seemed like I was always going against the current. The people that I thought were really uh, great Christians turned out not to be such. But here they scorned, and the, uh, they scornfully esteemed the rock of their salvation. But notice it says they sacrificed to demons, uh, not to God. And again, idols. Idolatry is full of demonism. Uh, to the gods that they did not know, to new gods. In verse 18, uh, of the rock who begot uh, you, you were, unmind, uh, you were unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you, the very source of your salvation, the very source of your existence was the rock that uh, begot you, who created you. If we are any man being Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And when the Lord saw it, spurned them because of the provocation, verse 19, because his sons and daughters, and he said, I will hide my face from them, and I will see what end will be, and that they are perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. And as he goes and he talks about they've served foolish idols, but then verse 22, for a fire is kindled in my anger and they shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth uh, with increase and set a fire the, on fire the foundations of mountains. And there are Jews who believe that this refers to the Holocaust. And whenever a Jew says, uh, if there's a God in heaven, then why, uh, why, uh, did uh, this happen, and why were so many people killed? And they will refer it to this verse of just how bad it can get in God's wrath against his people. But verse 23, and I will heap disasters on them, and I will spend my arrows on them, and they, they shall be wasted with hunger and devoured with pestilence and, and bitter destruction. And I will send them against them the teeth of beasts and so forth. He goes on and he really pours out a, a very horrible situation. But then in verse uh, 28, it says, For they are a nation void of counsel. They're not very bright people. They, they, they're just not wise. Nor is there any understanding among them that they, were, uh, that they were wise, that they might understand this, that they would consider their latter end. And so... He says, and as a result of that, how can one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless the rock had sold, had, uh, sold them? And so it was the rock. And the, the, here again, the third time that we see the rock, or the, um, not the Savior, but the, he's our source, so actually the fifth time, or whatever time, but it's, uh, he's our strength. They forsook the rock. I mean, the very person who can, would help them chased a thousand and 300 could chase a whole nation like Gideon and yet they forsook the very person who was their strength the Lord is my, the strength of my life whom shall I fear and so here we see that uh, they had forgotten their very source of strength the Lord Jesus of course God the Father and now as we go on we see in that uh, and 
the Lord surrendered them, as the Lord surrendered them, in verse 31, for their rock is not like the rock, uh, notice the small letter, rock, and then the capital letter, rock, for their rock, they're talking about idols and the people, idolaters, is not like our rock, capital R, even the enemies themselves being judges. And so he's the superior. He's superior to, to, he's their strength. He's superior to anything out there. He's the standard. He's the savior. He's the source. He's he's everything. And so he said, uh, how can they forsake God like this? And then verse 34, is this not laid up uh, in store with you, with me, sealed up among my treasures. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. That's the very verse that one of the most famous messages in the American continent was ever preached. And that was Jonathan Edwards back in the middle 1700s, as he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. And the colonists in those days were very rough-hewn people. They had left the Church of England. Many of them had not come over for religious purposes. And the country was in great decay, and it was needing, uh, it was needing some good preaching. And Jonathan Edwards, Whitfield, others started preaching. And... Jonathan Edwards was um, quite a theologian, but he was nearsighted. And when he wrote the, the message, he read it like uh, right before his eyes. He read this message. And if you ever want a good message to read, if you really want to get into some heavy preaching, uh, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God uh, is still a classic work. But he used this passage, and he even said, uh, uh, We are over a fiery pit. Uh, as uh, a person who rejects the Lord is like, is like over a fiery pit uh, on an icy plank. In other words, uh, you're over a fiery pit and yet you're slipping like on ice. And you're ready to fall. And it's uh, recorded that uh, when he preached that message that there were people actually holding on to the back of the pews. Some people were starting crying saying, God save me. And it was estimated that Great Awakening there was a third of the United States that uh, was saved during that great sweeping revival. And it's interesting because that was the 18, uh, 1740s and 50s. And the people who wrote our Constitution, many of them were Christians, preachers, a lot of preachers in there. But they were the children of the people who were saved in the 1740s and 50s, 70s, 70s and 80s were the people that were the fruit of what came out of the Great Awakening. And so it's interesting how that God used that even with us. And so, but sinners in the hands of an angry God, and he used this, and this is a, uh, and the Lord was saying to Moses, uh, or, or to the people, hey, I want you to read this as a, as a testimony against you. And so we see that he says, for the Lord will judge his people, verse 36, and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone. And so he says, I'm going to have compassion whenever they get to the point where they realize they don't have any power. And they're going to say, uh, 
Where are the gods? The rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine uh, of their drink offering. Let them arise and help you. Uh, but uh, for, for your refuge. Now the Lord, now see that I, even I, am he. And there is no God besides me. I will kill and make alive. I will wound and heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. I will raise my hand to heaven and I, as I live forever. And so the Lord is again going for, he says, I am the one. I'm the rock. I'm your stability. I'm your salvation. I'm your sustainer. I'm your strength. I'm everything you need. And don't forsake the rock. The Lord's my rock in whom I stand. I shelter in the time of storm. And how many times does the Lord use that? The, 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 those who hear the sayings of mine and keep them, they shall be like, a, rock, be like the, a man who builds his house upon the rock. And the storms and the uh, rain shall come, but it shall stand. And so we see that he says in verse 43 now, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with the, his people. In other words, and there again, the invitation, God was wanting to use the, the Jew to reach the Gentile. The, the Jew was the Old Testament oracle of God. Today, the oracle of God, the mouthpiece of God, is the church. But he says, I want the, 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 the nations of the world to see what, who God is, and I want to use you to do it, that he will avenge the blood of his servants. So he goes on and talks about this. Now, after he gets through this, now Moses finished speaking all these words in verse 45. And he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe. Men, it is, or parents, it is very important that we don't expect the, the, church, or the, uh, the schools to teach our ch- children the things of God. Now, our children should influence the, the schools. But when we kicked God out of the home, then we kicked him out of the schools also. He says that all the words of the law, uh, for this is not a futile thing. And here we say, as we go back to chapter 30, for this is not a futile thing. This isn't light because it is your life. Remember what? I set before you blessings and cursing. Choose life. Life and death, blessings and cursing. Choose life. Here it is again. This is your life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall be like him or we shall see him as he is. But folks, Christ is our life. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And so we see that uh, don't neglect the words of this book. And then we see that he goes on in verse 48. He says, then Moses spake, then the Lord spoke to Moses the same day. It was quite a day. He said, go up to this mountain uh, the mountain of Abara, Mount Nebo, which is that big high mountain that you can look uh, from north to south and all the way to the um, Mediterranean Sea, which is in the land of Moab across from Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain 
which you would ascend. Uh, now, that would be a very strange thing. Go up there and die, Moses. Well, Lord, how am I going to die? You know, who's going to kill me? <laughs> That'd be one of those interesting ones. But this is the type of conversations that he and the Lord had. And, of course, we know that there was a lot of angelic activity going on there because Jude tells us that the angels were fighting over his body. But we see, and he died on the mountain, or excuse me, and die on the mountain, which you, uh, which you shall ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor, um, and gathered to his people, because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah. God never forgot Moses' disobedience when he struck the rock rather than speaking to it. The first time he struck the rock because that rock was our salvation. That was the rock uh, that where Jesus was stricken on the cross, stricken for our sins. But once Jesus rose, we speak to the rock, do we not? We don't strike him anymore. And Moses, you, it was your anger, not mine, with the people. You did not have the testimony that I wanted before the people. All the the responsibility that we have to a lost and dying world that we are the God God expects us to be an obedient testimony for him but Moses couldn't go to the land there's uh, he could lead people to the land he could be a good teacher but he couldn't take the people into the land of promise just like the law could teach us a lot of things about what to do or what not to do, but it cannot give us that land. It cannot give us that life of plenty. It cannot meet our needs as far as the spiritual needs of our life. It takes the grace of God to do that, to give us the love and the joy and the peace and the power to serve Him. So Moses represented the law, but it was Joshua who had to take them into the land of promise. And Joshua is a Hebrew term for Jesus. Jehovah is my salvation. And so Moses led them to the promised land, but Jesus was the one who had to give them the victory. And so it is in our lives. We can learn a lot about the law, and we could, we could be afraid of the things of the Lord, but we want to stick close to our Lord Jesus. Because he's our sustainer. He's our rock. And, we've, and just with closing, let me turn over as, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll see what Paul calls us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul talking to these wayward uh, Corinthians. And he says in chapter 10, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware of, uh, of our fathers who under the cloud all passed through the sea. So he's giving a history lesson. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud. In other words, they were immersed by what happened. Uh, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, the manna, the bread of life, the water. You had all that. They did all this for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was... Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And so God already knew that a lot of people weren't going to follow, follow him. 
And folks, uh, you know, that's why revival sometimes can be disheartening. Because God really gets a hold of some people. And things change. But the, the wave of that revival many times subsides. And all of a sudden, the people that at one time were wanting to serve the Lord now don't serve him anymore. Uh, the story is told of Queen Mary when she was uh, uh, killing the Christians in England. And uh, people were willing to go to the stake for the name and for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Queen Elizabeth came on the scene and she became uh, very powerful and religious freedom was restored, then many of those people who were willing to die at the stake fell away from God. How can that happen? Boy, the the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, is it not? Sometimes we need to have those sharp uh, stones or sharp sticks keep poking us to keep us close to God. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a writer back in the last part of the 20th century, had gone through a lot of the uh, labor camps and everything of the communist countries. He was a great writer. But someone said, he was a Christian, someone said, uh, wouldn't it be great if, uh, if we could have the freedom in Russia like they have in America? And he said, oh, no. Uh, that would be the worst corrupting thing that could have ever happen to Russian Christians is have the freedom that they have in America because he saw what was going on with what we call spirituality here. Same spiritual rock, same, the, same preaching, same Bible. And yet there are those who are going to receive the Lord and accept him and follow him. And there are going to be people to fall away. Which, way are you, which one are we? Which one are you? Are we willing to follow the Lord? And let this testimony be against us that whenever we do get in trouble, then the path forward is the path, is the path back to the cross, to the cross of the Lord Jesus. Keep me near the cross, Lord. There a precious fountain. Free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Let's pray. Father, it's just incredible what you know about us. You know about our future. You know what's going to happen tomorrow. Lord, we realize there may be some sticks and stones that uh, may be down on the bottom of our nest that you have to teach us to fly. But, oh, Lord, that you can bless your people. Keep us safe, Lord, but keep us strong. In serving you. Speak to our hearts while they're tender. Speak to us, Lord, and may when the forces of hell rise up, may we realize that you are the rock and that we can stand firmly on you, knowing that no good thing will be withheld from them who walk uprightly. Bless your people, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.